0: Namo Tassa, Pacowato, Arhato, Sama, Sambutasa, Namo Tassa, Pacowato, Arhato, Sama, Sambutasa, Namo Tassa, Pacowato, Arhato, Sama, Sambutasa, Butang, Damang, Sankang, So today is a part of a program that the OBS has organized, and this is the The teaching we're considering is the teaching on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. But before I start that, um, perhaps I could just go back to our meditation and some suggestions. One of the great hindrances to meditation is sleepiness. And certainly in the monastic sangha, it is um, a challenge. And after a meal, it's very difficult. But um, just a couple of suggestions, if I may. Obviously if you need more sleep, you need more sleep, and it's easier to meditate three hours after a meal rather than directly after a meal. And it's easier to meditate if you had some coffee, unless you get all speedy. All that aside, um, what you'll notice about dullness, if you're aware of it, if you're not just nodding off, is that um, dullness is a kind of um, energy coagulation, like oatmeal, in your forehead. It's just kind of up in the eyes and up in the head. And um, so the challenge is how how can I bring, the way I look at it, the way I I do it, how can I bring the energy down from this sort of coagulated, head-centered, forehead, down, 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 down into my body. Uh, So that's one thing. The other thing is you notice your spine loses its strength. So the posture curves over. So the other thing is, how can I keep the energy going up the spine? How can I keep the spine up? So the the, the latter is is simply developing, I think, the uh, a strong core and and learning how to push your hara forward and and open your shoulders, raise the back of your neck, and raise your whole body up, literally. So it's very much like a good yoga stretch, and that exercise done continually throughout your meditative career is very profitable if you just keep doing that every 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 time you meditate get into that i suggest get into that habit of like feeling your hara pushing out with your hara um, strengthening strengthening the core so you actually holding your body up opening your chest doing a kind of obviously physical exercise stretching the back of the neck and holding it for a while if you do that every day, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, you get kind of used to doing it first of all, you remember to do it, you'll be more aware of your spine when, when that happens, uh, and you start to get more strength in the core, and, and you feel your shoulders, and you feel better breathing, and so on, so it's just a very nice feeling. And then you've got a, a, a kind of go-to practice when you start to feel dull, and, and you just do something quite vigorous. So if you're feeling dull, don't do any, any kind of subtle meditation. Just do something quite coarse. Mm-hmm. Just because um, dullness is a coarse kind of hindrance. And that's one. And the other is that kind of sense of porridge in your brain, right? You know what I mean? Um, there, it's very much like... The, the, there's a lot of the way dullness manifests is both physical, body collapses, and then mental, there's a lot of thinking going on. You're not quite aware of it, whatever it is. So to to actually become aware, when I did this meditation on the consciousness of the face, the sensations in the face, you can actually bring that meditation into your brain, bring it into your brain, and, and start to get to to know the brain when it's involved in a lot of thinking, and that's it's a very tense kind of feeling. You get, you get more and more sensitive with, with these practices. So then, what what you need what I do, is, is if, I, if dullness is, is, a, is a hindrance and I have to uh, have to meditate, I can't have a rest or whatever, then I just try to really just, just slowly draw, draw my attention down through my face and get to my throat, try to open my throat, because I think, I think what's happening with dullness too is somehow there isn't enough oxygen, somehow mm. it's, the system's kind of closing down. So it's just going kind of get, to get the throat open. Get down to the heart chakra and get down to the hara. Just kind of keep bringing the energy down, keep bringing the energy down, and start to be conscious down here more, down here, and then and then you'll find that the dullness might be there, but it, it doesn't uh, kidnap you because you you're not lost in the thought energy. So body awareness is, is very very helpful for that kind of thing, and um, if. If you find certain times of day you're really, really sleepy, then probably your biorhythm says it's not a good time to do sitting meditation. Do it another time. So the the, uh, the theme that I was asked to comment on is, is uh, comes from, just to go back to how the teachings work, first of all you have the root teaching, shall we say, or the, the teaching which encompasses all other teachings is the Four Noble Truths. Many of you heard know this one. And the Four Noble Truths is our are that there is is a sense of discontent, or there is suffering, or there is a sense of lack, or there is is conflict in life. And that that conflict can be social, but it also is internal. And that this conflict, the internal conflicts that we have, can be resolved. The external conflicts, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, So the internal conflict or the internal sufferings that we experience have a cause and that causes attachment to craving. And craving is desire conjoined with ego, say. It's desire which is conjoined with ignorance. There are, So there are wholesome desires in unwholesome desires. So the second noble truth is that there's a cause to human suffering, and that that cause, the internal cause, is attachment to this ego craving, ego wanting in different ways. And that the third noble truth is that there's an end. This isn't a... Uh, the, the prognosis is good. You know, there's an end to suffering. And that's through the abandonment of this ignorant craving, of this wrong craving, of this craving which leads us into suffering. And that the path, there's a path to do that, and that path is the Noble Eightfold Path. Right. So that's what we're considering. And in the Noble Eightfold Path, you have right understanding, right thought or right intention, right action, right mindfulness, right speech. Uh, right, right action, right speech, right livelihood, and then you have right mindfulness, right concentration, right effort. So, what we're considering now—that's that, the package. That really, if you—if you want to loo- use um, Theravada Buddhism, that's a good package to learn. And it's very much. Do you know what a jig is? Not a dance, but the like. If you're doing woodwork, like I'm doing. Um, I like to do uh, picture framing. And to do, if you have a a complicated molding, to do a a 45 degree angle cut and get it perfect, and they get four of them, and to make a square, pretty hard. Very hard. Um, So I've made a jig. And so I can put the molding and the jig is uh, on a. 45 degree angle to the blade of the table saw, and I can put my molding on one end, on one side, on the other side, and get a perfect picture frame with 40, really nice 45 degree angles. That's a jig, right? It's a kind of invention to solve a problem with different kind of variables, but it's the same problem. So the four noble True is like a jig. You know, It's not just a kind of abstract that you agree with or don't agree with, or you just leave on, on the shelves, but it's actually a jig for ending human suffering. And if you can plug into it and get your molding in there, you get a nice 45-degree cut. That's a nice sort I've been doing woodwork, so here... That's the way the mind works. It creates analogies for what you're doing. Um, and I think that, for me, that's important, the, the, the pragmatism of it. So there's suffering, there's the cause, there's the end of suffering, there's the path. And and again, this this word suffering or dukkha is a difficult word, probably better word to use the word dukkha, because what the Buddha is pointing to is not just the kind of psychological and uh, physical kind of stuff that we experience, but he, he says there is a realization... Which is beyond dukkha, and that realization is why we, we consider Buddhism a, a transcendent teaching or a religious teaching or a spiritual teaching, because he he realizes something which is more than just psychological betterment, it's more than just a sort of health, self-help thing which makes you kind of feel better. Those things aren't bad, but so he has a deep realization, and so he says there is there is dukkha, there's the end, there's the cause of dukkha, there's the end of dukkha, and there's the path. Which leads to the end of dukkha, and if you don't understand that it's coming from his realization, and he's constructing a jig for us to use, then you, you know people make comments about suffering. It sounds very negative or pessimistic. It's not. It's pragmatic. It's very pragmatic if you if you can plug into it. So in the noble eightfold path, uh, you have this. Uh, Uh, Right Mindfulness, which we're considering, or or the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, is one of the teachings, a subset of teachings, within that larger uh, Four Noble Truths. And so what the teaching is doing, it's suggesting to to look at our human experience through certain um, lenses, by looking at certain aspects of human experience. And so says, well, what, what is our human experience composed of? Well, we are bodily beings. We are incarnate in a body. So understanding the body and its ways is, is important. And that's the first foundation of mindfulness, is the body. The second foundation of mindfulness is called Vedana, or feeling. third foundation of, of mindfulness is called Jitta, or the mind, heart-mind. And the fourth foundation of mindfulness is the Dharma, the, the, the kind of things that we can notice <coughs> about the, the way things are to liberate us from suffering. So we're thinking today about Vedana, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of stuff there. You could work on that for many lifetimes. But vedana, the 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 translation we have is feeling, but feeling is used in in a in a in a variety of ways in, in English language, and the way I try to differentiate, it, I say, well, as as I have I have sensations, and I, I experience both uh, uh, physical phenomena and mental phenomena. So there are thoughts and memories. And then there are emotions which are a combination of thinking and bodily feeling. And they're bodily feelings such as uh, coldness or, or um, a cramp in the leg and things like that. So I, I put those as, as kind of like sensations uh, or, or phenomena, mental phenomena, physical phenomena. And within all of that, there's what we call Vedana. And Vedana is simply the attractive or unattractive aspect of these physical, mental phenomena. So sometimes we say, I I I, uh, I say feel the body, and that's a kind of general use. But Vedana has this specific um, idea. I, I consider it like magnetic polarity. You have a North Pole and a South Pole. And, and like if you, let's if, you know, say the North Pole draws you, the South Pole repels the mind. So in our experience, uh, our bodily experience, our sense experience, our mental experience, some of it is is attractive and some of it is, is the opposite. we, 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 we are repelled by. It. And that's a given. All human experience has that. If we didn't and, and has to have that, it's not wrong. Biologically it's necessary, isn't it like we, If we didn't feel uncomfortable with cold uh, wet rain, we'd go outside and we'd catch pneumonia. So it's necessary. Um, a biological function. So you, if you think about that, if I have like, um, I had a, a coffee with, someone gave me some maple syrup. Coffee and maple syrup, very nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so the the taste is pleasant. Mm-hmm. Taste is pleasant, uh, and that's sukavedina, uh, and that's neither right nor wrong. For some person, maybe the coffee is bitter, and. That's not Sukha Vedana, it's Dukkha Vedana. So we have these two words, Sukha and Dukkha, and Sukha is uh, attractive, and Dukkha is unattractive. So if if I had someone maybe had put some sugar by my coffee there, and I put the sugar in and I tasted it, it as actually salt, mm-hmm. then I would have Dukkha Vedana. Right? So Sukha and Dukkha. And that's not unnatural, it's just it's a given. So. With all our senses, we have that, obviously. So if, uh, like, the temperature now is much more comfortable than it was, say, two weeks ago, it was very, very hot in here. So we can adjust the windows and make it comfortable. Mm-hmm. So now we're going from dukkha to sukha-vedana. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's natural. And, and, and <laughs> like, the modern car, it, like, I was driving in someone's car, Gamini's car, and he, I could adjust the temperature in my seat. His seat was 23, and my seat was 22, <laughs> so we, we have this facility to play around with dukkha and sukha. Sights, sounds, tastes, smells, bodily feelings, mental images, emotions, are, all have that in them. And it's a range, isn't it? It's not just one thing. It's a range from, from extremely, extremely unpleasant to extremely, extremely pleasant. And then the whole range to neutrality, because there are some things which are, ho hum, neither neither pleasant nor non-pleasant. And it's always moving. Now, why is why is that important? Well, because, I think you have to go back to the Buddha's realization. The reason he's teaching, is he wants to get us to the place where he was, or he what his realization. He wants us to realize the peace that he realized, and he's creating this jig. <laughs> I don't know how much longer I'll carry that image. <laughs> you don't understand a jig; it doesn't matter. <laughs> so he's, he's creating this, so we 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 do the same kind of contemplation as he's done, so that we realize his realization. And so we say in this in this teaching, we say uh, when 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 you see the Dhamma, you see the Buddha. It's a lovely lovely way to think about it. And and what what he's pointing to is that all our, our bodily experiences, the sense experiences, the mental experiences, the emotional experiences, are, are contingent on all kinds of factors. And, and they're not independent. They depend on inputs and history and all manner of things. And they go through us. They go through consciousness in ways which are at times predictable, but often not predictable. And so they don't have any kind of stability to them. But, they have a hook. They have a hook. And the hook is Vedana. The hook is is this sense of, hmm, that's nice. Hmm, that's not nice. Being attracted to, being repelled by. And that hook, uh, it literally is a hook because it draws us into sense experience in ways which are sometimes necessary, but oftentimes they simply fill up all our mental space. Fill up all consciousness, with objects, with objective experience. And the Buddha is saying, as long as you're looking out at objective experience, you'll get pleasure and pain, but you won't get this deep peace that he's realized. So you've got to see that that strategy for transcendence or, or the spiritual insight won't work. That's all. It'll work for pleasure and pain, so use it for that. So I wanted a pleasurable cup of coffee, and I made a pleasurable cup of coffee. Right? but I know it's not nibbana. I know darn well. And I know if I did five of those, I would be in hell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, without because I, you know, the, the one. I think one of the dangers we have in picking up Buddhism in a Western culture is we take some like very Puritan ideas about pleasure and pain, and we associate them with the Buddhist teachings. But the Buddhist teachings aren't saying that, that pleasure is wrong or that that pain is somehow more desirable. So let's all wear hair shirts, right? Mm-hmm. He's not saying that. He's just saying, it's not where you should be looking. Mm-hmm. It's not where you should be looking for the transcendent. That's all. So, um, where should you be looking? Where should you be looking? Well, the thing about craving is that it is contingent on Vedana. I'll use Vedana rather than feeling, okay? I think we have a sense of that word, just to, mm-hmm. just to, to kind of get it. So the, the, the craving we have is contingent on feelings. So if I have a pleasurable experience, I want to repeat it and uh, make it bigger and help it to manifest and try to plan my future so that the whole body of pleasant experiences is, is greater in my life and vice versa. And again, I need to do that to a certain extent to survive. And it can be quite beautiful and uplifting. Nothing wrong with that. But if that is the only focus of attention I have, I'm not available for anything else. So my mind is always preoccupied with maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. And it can be aesthetically quite beautiful, or it can be... It's not necessarily immoral. It's not a question of morality. Immorality, it's just looking in the wrong place. So, where do you look? And the suggestion I, I made in this meditation, I said, know, I do this a lot, You know, those of you who know me, you get, I do this is the way I like to teach, but listen to sound, feel the body. So we went through the body meditation. Let's now feel the body. And I asked you, okay, notice the loudest sound? Notice the strongest body feeling? You can do that. You can notice a loud sound, and you can notice a a heavy feeling in the body, or something like that. But then I ask you, okay, find awareness. You couldn't, right? Did anyone find awareness as an object? If you did, uh, I better leave. (laughs) I'm in trouble. You can't. You can only be aware. And this is the great mystery, that... Uh, awareness it you know, there is awareness of the way things are, and you cannot find it. So we say, be awareness, rather than trying to find awareness. Now, what awareness can know, it can know objects, but what desire does, and this is why the second and, noble, second and third noble truth are important, is that craving then gets involved with objective world, with sounds and sights and emotions and memories, and, and intellectual pursuits, and craft projects, and making jigs, <laughs> and is simply always preoccupied with the wrong thing. So renunciation, then, renunciation, not just shaving your head and wearing a robe, but renunciation, to me, it's, it's core, or it's like it, where it's coming from, is you understand that. You understand that the realization of peace cannot be in something which is inherently Unpeaceful. Pleasure is inherently unpeaceful in the sense that it changes. It's pleasant, but it changes. Uh, so once you begin to see that, uh, you can understand okay, like my mind's always looking to do something or create something or be with someone, or my mind's always out. It's never home. It's always out into the objective world. You begin to meditate. You, know, you begin to meditate. Why? Because you, you realize. Now I want to stay home sometime. I don't want to be out there all the time, getting restless or whatever. And so when you start to pick up meditation, what, what you realize is like, first of all, you have bodily pain. Right? And that's Dukkha Vedana. And Dukkha Vedana, your knee hurts, your back's a bit sore, you feel itchy, uh, you can't get the posture right. That's all Dukkha Vedana going on within bodily sensation. Uh, then you like, you know, you kind of uh, an idea comes to your mind: how to make a jig. <laughs> I'll, I'll build one of those, and boop, you're reborn into a pleasant recipe or a beautiful frock or a trip to the Holy Lands. That's a good one. That's sort of allowed, isn't it? If I just think, <laughs> and that's that's pleasant mental phenomena, and that's where we go, don't we? You get, you know, you're meditating and. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. No, don't go there. <laughs> it's an idea. That's all it is. It's a good idea. It's a pleasant idea. And that's why we pursue them. Or it's a, it's, a, it's a frightening idea. Like worry. Where's worry coming from? Well, worry, say, what's the difference between planning and worry? Planning is necessary. Thinking through, having foresight is necessary. It's a good thing. If you don't, you know, you're just a bit um, irresponsible. Maybe. But worry, where does worry come from? Well, worry comes, if you look at it in terms of vedana and tanha, uh, vedana and craving, you see that worry is the arising of the unknown, the arising of a future possibility that may be a disaster. This may happen, the unknown. And because that's unpleasant, it's dukkha-vedana, the mind then engages with that to try to find sukha-vedana, a solution. So things, say, well, if I do this, and I didn't do, do that, but then if I do this, and then I do, do that, and then if you come to a conclusion, we all know this with worry, you, the conclusion is pleasant. Ah, that's what I'll do, yeah. Ah, <laughs> okay. uh, then you, oh, yeah, this is nice. And then will happen, but if that happens, then I may have been, oh, yeah, forgot about that, that's not good, and then boom. And this is how worry works. It's, it's, a, it's a cycle of Vedana, uh, vedana stimulates tanha or uh, feeling stimulates craving and the craving uh, is grasped with thinking and we are reborn into the realm of trying to find a future which is not troublesome we can't get there that's why I can just spin around so much so the suggestion the Buddha makes to us is okay, if you want to realize the unconditioned You've got to figure out why you're so latched into the conditioned, why you're so preoccupied with the conditioned, and if you really watch, and here you need a lot of mindfulness, you have to be very attentive to what is going on in the stream of consciousness. Then you'll notice that as soon as the unpleasant arises, I want to get rid of it, and as soon as the pleasant arises, I want, I, I like it, I go with it, and that keeps me preoccupied. So how, how can I not preoccupy my attention with the objects of consciousness, and you, you start to learn that with body awareness, say in in meditation. So you're sitting, and you start, to, and all of us, I think, who are meditators, have seen this one, where you you meditate, and you start to get pain, and you move, and you get some more pain, and you move, and you after maybe three or four sessions, you realize I got to sit still. It's just this natural conclusion: I got to stop just reacting to this minor discomfort, and you realize it's not major, it's nothing going to hurt you, and you have the kind of resolution to watch discomfort. Now you're knowing Vedana, rather than attaching to Vedana with craving, and with the whole restlessness of moving your posture. Now you're aware of Vedana. You might not define it in that way, but intuitively, you understand that, that you can't be peaceful if you're just shifting around looking at the clock. So through some kind of insight process that we all have, comes naturally, you begin to just figure it out, no, 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 I'm just going to sit still and not move. And that not moving is the, is the abandonment of craving. A craving mind is saying, move, 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 look, 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 uh, scratch, scratch, itch, itch. And, and, and your wisdom mind is saying, no, thank you, I'm just going to sit still. And you begin to abide in the awareness rather than be attached to the condition. And as you abide in the awareness, you begin to move towards the unconditioned, right? rather than being caught in the conditioned, And each move towards awareness of change is a move towards the unconditioned, if one could put it in a direction kind of way, which we can't really, but as an analogy. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you're kind of not moving out into the object, you're coming back home. That's a nice image, you're just coming back home. Now that lesson is learned again and again and again. Um, so, like, let's say with me and my little projects, my woodworking projects, I could build all kinds of stuff, right? So I'm just sitting here. Whoa. Oh no no, <laughs> no, no, no! Don't go there. And it, it it's very tempting actually because it's so interesting. You know, it's a puzzle. Puzzles are. I like puzzles. Something like. But then I see my mind creates puzzles to entertain myself. I said, no, no, you're not here for jigs, Vera, no <laughs> You're here for one jig. And you're going to see, oh, that's desire. It's pleasant. So now you can see how much mindfulness I need when the pleasant creative project comes into mind. That first impulse is nice. Right? And we've all done that. It's nice, it's nice, it's nice. And then, And then after... 16 projects, 14 sittings. Oh, will you shut up? All of a sudden, the nice becomes not nice. The mind is now obsessed with making jigs. I'm not that bad, honest. <laughs> but it's, it's a kind of a good, good, good place to go. So, so we've seen that where you have this fantastic idea. And, the thing, and then, oh, oh no, please, not again. I don't want that fantastic idea. And then we try to get rid of it. So sukkha becomes dukkha. Now we have Dukkha Vedana, this, this muttering mind which will not stop, and then we try to get rid of it and focus or whatever. But now we have the karma of having thought a certain idea, and now it's going to come up a lot because I've put intention into it. And this, this is important, that intentionality is actually what's creating the thinking. You, the, the, uh, the sort of way we an- analyze, we said, I'm just thinking too much, I have to stop thinking. Which is a good intention, but if I've, if I've invested a lot of um, speculation and complexity into a problem, that problem is going to arise in thought. It has to. That's its nature. So the way to, to to begin to not go that path is to notice thought as an object, and to notice the end of a thought. This is the way we've always been. I've always been taught to notice the end of a thought, and that's. Part, partly the way you can describe the third noble truth is there's an end to suffering, there's an end to ego, there's an end to craving, and that can be noticed when you notice your thinking. Because in, in that, there's this little gap, little break. And that's very neutral. It's neither pleasant or unpleasant. It's Vedana is very, very neutral because there's no Vedana there. It's just simply the way things are. Um, there is Vedana there, but but it's 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 very kind of how should I say, it's very ho hum, nothing special, it doesn't seem like much. So to sit in that kind of space of nothing much happening, nothing pleasant or unpleasant, the mind gets bored and starts to think. But that's where you have to learn to be, just in the very neutral. Very neutral, nothing happening, listening. And start to appreciate the space there, and the gap there. But the, the habits of craving will be to seek the pleasant to get rid of the unpleasant. And that will keep happening to you. Now, the more one can understand... I think this, this the question is one of understanding, not simply disciplining yourself. It's not like disciplining yourself so you drink less coffee or, or discipline. That might come. But first of all, there has to be the insight that my mind, going outside into objects, is not going to realize the true peace of the mind. I have to stay home. And then some discipline might come from that understanding. If you don't have that understanding and you simply think, you, you know, I shouldn't be eating this or I should be doing that from some kind of puritanical mindset. Yeah. And this is, I think, where we can get confused as Buddhists in a, in a, in a culture that's been conditioned from Victorian times, I suppose, huh? mm-hmm. that the pleasure is wrong. It's not that. No, it's not that. So you start to, you start to try to be with, with the way things are and this is the talk I gave last night uh, at a Quaker house where, where Ajahn Chah would 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 you know create situations where we were frustrated. And as I was saying yesterday to the to the group, I was saying when Ajahn Chah was asked what what was he, what technique did he like to use, mindfulness of breathing, heart practice, body sweeping. He said, No, I I teach frustration. <laughs> 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 and 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 you know it was, and it was very very. As so I was saying yesterday, it was very good because what he was doing was bringing up Dukkha Vedana by not giving you what you want, by you know, maybe just like just having to sit for three or four hours in a, in a hot concrete room, um, sala, and just be there. Right? And, and um, for sure, lots of Dukkha Vedana starts to come up. Body hurts, concrete's hard, it's hot, and boy, is it boring. Unless, the, the, you know, the person has tremendous samadhi, and most don't. They're so just there with this sort of, uh, a lot of kind of unpleasant vedana, and they well, so if you use the jig, what's the cause of suffering? It's that I'm stuck in this room. No, no. It's that there's dukkha, vedana, and that leads to craving, that leads to attachment, that leads me to thinking, how long can I sit here, and why doesn't he ring the bell, and you know, I didn't come here just to get to, da, 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 attachment. So then you say, okay, what's? And you go back to the to the model, and the model is oh, there is vedana, and there is craving. Okay, so you go back and you keep establishing mindfulness. So what's vedana here? And you notice, well, my body feels this way, and oh, oh yeah, yeah, I don't want this. This is resistance. Ah, oh, okay. You start to get the, the insight. There is resistance to the way things are. So now it's not just the way things are, but you're, you're noticing your mind more that I'm creating this resistance. Justifiably, it's, you know, it's hard to sit there maybe for a long time, it's okay, but, but what is this resistance? So you start to get more subtle in your understanding of the way consciousness is working. It's no longer the storyline of how much longer can I sit here and I, you know, I don't want to do this anymore and I'm leaving them on a da, da da da. It's no longer that storyline. But it's coming down to, what are the basics of this human experience? What are the basics of how consciousness works? And what did the Buddha ask me to look at? He says, look at Vedana and look at Tanha. Look at feeling and look at craving and look at attachment to craving. And all of that is the jig. Oh, that's, the mo- you know, that's the kind of uh, thing the Buddha says, look in this particular way. And it's not a matter of believing. It's not a matter of believing. It's, it's, it's intellectually getting your head around that. And then in the, in those times of of stress or whatever, trying to give yourself enough mental space to look in this very careful way. And the thing about monastic life, I had long stretches where I had the same kind of resistance, like the resistance to chanting, resistance to like I didn't like to bow. I love to bow now. Right? I'm not going to bow. No, good, fine, don't bow. Oh, okay. You don't care. <laughs> and, oh, resistance. So is it the bowing, or is it my culture, my cult? No. I see. Yeah. Heat. Some of the hot seasons. Wow, they were really tough, really. And just this like feeling like like a sponge, a wet sponge, or or like a, like a, like something that's just melted on the floor. Just <laughs> <It's> horrible <laughs> And I, Yeah, what is it? And to try, try to bring up mindfulness and around a very unpleasant condition, very unpleasant thing. So, so then you see, well, mindfulness isn't about just having a bright mind all the time and having like super powerful, strong... It's like being with, with, with boring things and uncomfortable things. And what, as I was saying last night, what that, what that developed in me was the capacity to be with Dukkha Vedana. And, and in, Thai, in the Thai forest tradition they say, practice with Dukkha Vedana. Practice with Dukkha Vedana. Don't, it's, and this isn't like self-mortification. It's like when it's there, you use it for practice. And what is practice? It's like taking the Four Noble Truths and saying, okay, uh, I'm definitely suffering. I'm not, I'm not a happy guy right here. What is the cause? And the cause is attachment to craving. And where's the craving coming from? It's coming from the feeling. And what's the feeling like? Then, if I say, oh, this is unpleasant. And I just say, okay, what is unpleasant? All of a sudden, I've broken the cycle. I've broken the cycle of becoming. I've broken the cycle of birth. And we say that craving is the cause for birth, rebirth. So, whether you believe in that larger paradigm of many, many lifetimes, you can see that in your own mind, a a complaining viradamu, in my mind, in your mind, a complaining Viradhamma gets born, doesn't it? And, oh, I don't want to be here, I don't like this. Or or my jigs, oh yeah, I want to, and got rebirth. You can see rebirth happening in negative or positive ways. And then I see, oh this is pleasant, and I don't pursue that. And this is unpleasant, and I don't pursue that. And my mind begins to abide in peaceful coexistence with pleasant and unpleasant. Unpleasant, and the mind drops back into the peace. It's no longer now hooked into pleasant and unpleasant; it really falls back into knowing pleasant and unpleasant. Hence, we say, "What do Buddhas know that others don't know? That which has the nature to arise has the nature to cease, and is not self." When I can know the unpleasant is unpleasant, so that's one of the things I tried to get good at in in Thailand. Okay, and I knew I'd uh, you know we'd have a long session. I'd start to anticipate it. Oh God, you just kind of. You know, they, they dread going in there or something like that. And, and then I, oh, no, this is dread. Dread feels this way. And that's unpleasant. Dread is unpleasant. Anticipation is this way. Resistance <laughs> is this way. Stay with that. Stay with that. And I go in. And after a while, it took me a few years, but I be, it's okay. It's just uncomfortable. And you know, it's all right. But why create, Why create so much suffering around it? And I begin to be grateful for this opportunity. I never liked it. I never, I never liked it. I mean, you look at the cushions I've got. I've got all kinds of cushions now. So I never liked it, but, but I realized it was actually really helpful to see where does transcendence lie. And it lies in knowing dukkha vedana as dukkha vedana and sukha vedana as sukha vedana and not pursuing them uh, through attachment or through ignorance. So if, if, if the opportunity arises for, for beauty in my life, I'm not going to dismiss that. You know, I'm all comfort. I'm, I'm 68, so I have a nice room. It's warm. I have a shower. I don't, you know, I don't go and roll in the grass now and get some ticks on me to really <laughs> experience the you kavet. Know, That'd be stupid, wouldn't it? And so that's sometimes where people get mixed up with it. It's not dismissing it. It's a very Tay Valley joke, I think. <laughs> <that it makes. laughs> and 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 what I have found, like long um, post was very we're very good about that, you know. He could. He tried to create a situation where, where you could get many types of monks. You didn't have to be really ascetic, and you could look at this and, and still like if an artist is an artist, it's an artist. Uh, and obviously, we have limitations with our with our lifestyle, but it's, so it's not a dismissal of sense consciousness. It's it's an, a curiosity about the transcendent, and a curiosity about awareness. And that's where you really, I think, get to in, in your meditative practice. You begin to ask these kinds of questions. Okay, feeling is feeling. Body's this way. And there's awareness. Well, what is awareness? And your mind goes silent. You can't find it. But you can be it. And you begin to see, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the key. It's not the pleasant or the unpleasant. It's the awareness. And that becomes more interesting. That becomes more interesting because it's more peaceful. And it's It's fulfilling. Jigs are not fulfilling. <laughs> one, this one jig is fulfilling, uh, and you begin to see that movement outwards. Eat that? No, I don't want to do that anymore. I've done that a lot. I just want to stay, stay. And you begin to contemplate the very nature of awareness, and that's where it goes beyond thought. That's where thought stops. You can't because you can't think about awareness. You can only be aware. And you begin to have this deep faith and this basic, basic um, attitude to the conditioned realm of non-grasping. You know, that's the path, non-grasping, non-attachment. Uh, and, and, and that the, the gateway to, this, to the deathless or the unconditioned or Nibbana has to be awareness, has to be. Uh, it's the only thing that's unconditioned. It's not, it's, not, it's not a flavor, it's not a size, it's not big or small. It knows, it knows. And so the Buddha's primary uh, practice is awareness of change. And you can see that if I do that, okay, if this is unpleasant. Okay, I'm going to watch unpleasantness. How long will it last? Or what does it feel like? All of a sudden, I've broken the cycle. And then it comes up again. Right? It comes up again. Oh, this, uh, uh-uh. What does unpleasant feel like? And then I'm back home. And the more you do that, the more you like to do that. All right, I think that sort of covers the theme Uh, then maybe we'll break for questions